Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back -back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? Because I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I'm going to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? Welcome to the Wolves Watch. I am Dan Radke, and I'm joined as always by Ricky Jim Bruno. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing okay, and for our listeners, I am cleaning my car right now, so if you hear any ruffling noises, that's a consequence of that. I apologize, but it's something I have to do, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, multitasking for Rick. Uh, we wanted to hop on. Uh, we haven't had a recorded episode uh, since last weekend, and we are now three games into the Wolves preseason, and so we kind of wanted to hop on and talk about what we're seeing. Um, we're going to kind of go rapid fire back and forth. We'll kind of alternate some of the things that we like, don't like. Uh, it's an overreactions pod. So three games in, the Wolves are 3-0 and in the preseason. They beat the Heat, the Lakers, and uh, they played last night in their most recent game, and that was a win against the Clippers. They are yet to be back at the Target Center. These are all three road games. And in the opening game, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Gobert all sat. In game two, Gobert and D'Lo were back, but Cat sat. And then last night, Cat was back, but Gobert sat. So have yet to see the full squad uh, to this point. But I want to start with you, Rick. We have not. Um, I was kind of tied up over the this weekend, had some family in town. So you and I have not really talked since the preseason uh, began. So I'll let you begin wherever you want. Likes, dislikes, things you've noticed through these first three games. Team's looking good, man. So, podcast over? <laughs> podcast <laughs> over. Yeah, no, team is looking good. Team is looking as expected. And what, what has been kind of encouraging so far, and I, this is somewhat of, I think, a contrarian take when it comes to the preseason, is, yes, the results do not matter in so much as you cannot, like, extrapolate a record from a preseason into what the record regular season or, God forbid, the playoffs. But... I do think that how a team approaches the preseason and those reps gives you some clues about just the general attitude of the team and the seriousness of the operation. And in that regard, and I think this is a good place to start, Dan, I'm very happy to say that it seems like everybody that has gotten a chance to play um, on the team and the coaching staff are really using these preseason games how you would want them to how you would want like a team that expects to contend would. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, in last night's game, it's a perfect example. They played 15 guys last night. Um, but you are noticing little things like Anthony Edwards minutes have ramped up each night. He played 23 in the first game, 24 in the second. He played 30 last night. So he's been a consistent presence and his minute load is starting to increase. Um, you know, one of the things, and this was just one of the notes I jotted down, and it seems like a weird place to start because it's not the big names on the teams. It's not even the starters on the teams. Uh, I really like the uh, the backcourt that we've developed, uh, the second unit backcourt. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin had, looks every bit as good as he did last year, just a really steady, stable presence. But I very much enjoy having Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers on the bench of this team. 
Um, they've added a slightly different dynamic where these guys are, are well-established players. And last night was kind of a perfect example of this where, you know, Bryn Forbes kind of took what the defense was giving him, which last night a slew of open threes. And so he was five of six from behind the arc. And with Austin Rivers, the same type of thing I've noticed in these three games, which is guys who don't expect to come in and get heavy usage. The matchup dictates that they're going to be able to you know, attack closeouts because they're being left uh, to help with other guys or they're able to, you know, spot up um, and get a bunch of open. They're, they're just very well-established players. And traditionally in roles like that, the Timberwolves have always had, you know, rookies or guys on their first contract. So they're still trying to figure out how to play. And I think, yeah, so I think that, that the competency and the veteran presence up and down the roster is, of course, super notable. And it is unusual to see from a Timberwolves team. Um, you, in the past, for good reason, you know, these guys wouldn't be interested in joining the Timberwolves on a league minimum contract. And so, you know, they're doing so because they believe in what's happening here. They believe in their opportunity to be able to play and probably um, get to a place where they could get a better contract next season than a minimum. But I'll say this about Bryn Forbes specifically, is it's a much more appropriate allocation of our resources for the role that Malik Beasley was in last year, which is, you know, Malik Beasley was getting paid kind of low-end starter money, fit, yeah. and his role, like, it became pretty evident that his optimum role was that of a streaky shooter. Um, but because he was getting paid in the mid-teens annual salary, you couldn't do what I would imagine that they will do with Bryn Forbes, which is you ride him on hot streaks and he doesn't need to play on cold streaks. And so, whereas Malik, you kind of had to shoehorn him into those minutes politically because of how he was getting paid, um, his importance to the chemistry of the team, and perhaps even just like maybe um, a slightly more volatile personality than Bryn Forbes is, uh, it's just a much yeah, better I'd say that's well, fair. <laughs> well, sure. But I mean, you know, I don't want to disparage the guy, but like, you know, I just oh, think it's, a, I think it's just a much more, you know, that role it's not, and it's not to disparage the role that Malik played for the team. It's, it's tremendously important. And I'm very happy that we're not just attempting to fill that. Well, even though you and I love Jalen Noel, and I'm sure we're going to talk about him a lot here. That's yeah. not what his role is. No. Um, so I'm glad we still have somebody that is capable of playing that role, um, but now in a way where we don't have to just pigeonhole this player in for 20-plus minutes a night. We can ride those waves because that's what he's going to be. It's going to be a streaky player. No, and, and you led right to where I wanted to go with this. And, you know, with this, with this newfound backcourt depth off the bench, what it allowed us to do is basically recreate Malik Beasley, but improve upon that that role between multiple players. And the biggest issue you and I had with Malik Beasley was he the shooting aspect of his game was phenomenal, but he was terrible off the bounce. Like, he just couldn't handle the ball. Um, so he was so one-dimensional in that way, but the team was so starved for shooting that it actually kind of worked for everybody. But what they did is they retooled kind of what that responsibility was. And you bring in a guy like Austin Rivers, who's played point guard, uh, Bryn Forbes, who's played point guard, and Jalen Noel, who can go off the bounce as well. And then the shooting is primarily in the hands of Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes, although Jalen Noel, you know, is willing to fire. Um, so you've actually just kind of like recreated the role, split it amongst three guys. 
And because, just to your point about the, the fifth starter money that Malik Beasley was making, like Jalen Noel is obviously going to be extension eligible, but for this season, you were able to get those three guys for less money than you were paying Malik Beasley. By a leaves you, significant amount. Yeah, and it leaves you way more flexible because it's three guys instead of one. So it, it, I just really, it's been very encouraging to see that level of shooting, veteran presence, and just overall depth in the backcourt. I really like what the Wolves did. Yeah, and, and because of the, the heavy amount of minutes that are going to be played when the team is healthy on high-usage star guys, these bit players that you need to fill a very specific role, it's, it's very important for the team. And what's, what's also very important for the team, and this is a chemistry thing, is that they're being filled by guys that are in the appropriate places in their careers. And so that's where you get a little bit dicey on the Jalen Noel aspect of it. I think at this point, you know, it's been well talked about that they've cleared a runway for him to have the sixth man role. Having said that, he still needs to be, he still needs to earn it. That's, that's their, that's their stated Um, goal with him is that he takes advantage of this opportunity that's in front of him but he's really the only one that's on an expiring contract here and a guy that hasn't had a big money contract yet in his career where his his goals don't necessarily line up perfectly with the goals of the team and that's where having guys like Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers is particularly valuable um, because they are in a place in their career where they understand that what they are doing for the Timberwolves is the only role left for them in the NBA. And so if they want to stay in the NBA as long as possible, they need to demonstrate that they can excel as a veteran bit player. And so that's a really great thing to have as a team is when your goals for a player's role perfectly align with their goals for themselves in the season, that's when you can get a lot of productivity from a player, but also just have a very harmonious locker room because you don't have too many guys feeling like they aren't getting what they feel like they're due. Yeah, no, and it was it was mentioned during, you know, the, uh, the opening press conferences on Media Day from both Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers, and they spoke about they're not coming in here with an expectation to be getting a lot of shots, to be guaranteed minutes, to be guaranteed any kind of large role. Uh, so you're right, not going to be some of those potential locker room clashes that you see oftentimes. Let's stick with Jalen Noel as part of this. Um, so Jalen Noel, and it's a three-game sample, and it's preseason basketball. But to give him credit, he started in the first game, and he played meaningful minutes in, in the second, third game. He's been a plus player in each game and scored north of 10 points in each game. It's good to see that, you know, clearly the messaging that the Wolves have put out in regards to Jalen is that they expect a lot from him. They expect growth and development. It's not a guarantee he's going to be expected, obviously, to improve his defense. But it is good to see that Jalen Noel is at least taking this part of the messaging very seriously, which is, no, we want you to be you when you're on the floor. And the dude is a guy who looks to get a bucket um, and looks to apply a lot of pressure on defenses when he's in. And he's done that in each of the three games, which is encouraging. Because sometimes, you know, we noticed this last year with Jade McDaniels when the season started where we so desperately organizationally wanted him to be a starter. You could almost see him, like, tense up from the very tip of the season um, because he just wasn't ready to take that responsibility. 
And this is the first year the messaging from the team has been, no, Jalen Noel is part of, like, part of our group, part of our rotation. We expect something from him. So at least in the preseason minutes he's gotten, it looks like he's, he's taken it to heart and not been shy. Which is well, great. I think that's incredibly exciting. And what I think more than anything does for me is it demonstrates that this guy understands the pressure that, is, that he is under to create an NBA career for himself. Because, you know, realistically being a second-round pick that was on a Gupta special – the overwhelming likelihood of that, and this is Josh Minot is in year one of this, the overwhelming likelihood is that you will not even finish your contract and you will be in Europe or the G League before the contract is over. Right. And he is already, you know, barring, you know, he still hasn't proven enough that if he was to suffer a really difficult injury, you know, he that would probably become the most likely track again. But barring a catastrophic injury, he's already exceeded that, uh, where he will get a contract next season, whether it's from the Timberwolves or somebody else. And now he's in a position where he can he can go beyond that. You know, he can demonstrate to either the Timberwolves or other teams that he is a high-end bench scorer, or I'm sure, I know that's not what his ambition is. I'm sure he has an ambition much higher than that. This is his opportunity to demonstrate that to the rest of the league, that he is somebody that believes he's a starter caliber player and that if he's given the minutes, he can produce at that level. And so that's the thing that there's sometimes a little bit of a dissonance between observers of, you know, the team observers of sports and then the actual guys there um, because, you know, they're living it and it's just very exciting See a guy with an opportunity in front of him, just go for it and really try to take it, take it, uh, the opportunity that's being given to him. So I'm super, you know, you and I have been fans of Jalen from the word go um, with the team. And so to see him recognize that and take advantage of this opportunity is just really exciting for the team. And it's really exciting for us as fans of Jalen Noel, where at this point now, there's there's really not much he could do um, in these last couple of preseason games that would make it so that he he would undo the good work he has done in training camp in these first three games. I think he has solidified himself at this point as that third guard off and the first guard off the bench. So kudos to Jalen. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. Um, and I... I'm very encouraged by the start for him, and I think if this is going, let's stay on the bench for now. We just hit all the the backcourt players. Let's go to the frontcourt, and there's two guys specifically. Well, can we talk, Dan, before we go to the frontcourt? I'm sorry to cut you off there. No. Um, I do think it's worth talking about Jordan McLaughlin and and how good he has played because I think sometimes he gets, um, you know, I think everybody obviously loves Jordan, but he almost, he almost gets talked about in a somewhat patronizing manner where it's like, oh, it's kind of nice. You know, it's nice. It's like uh, this little guy that drafted is, like, playing pretty well. He's, he doesn't suck. And I think he has taken a meaningful step forward this, this summer and um, so far in preseason looking more than just, like, a capable backup point guard, but potentially one of the better backup point guards in the league. And that is a development. No, I... I'm really glad you slowed me down there because, you know, you and I obviously love Jordan McLaughlin. We were obsessed with how good the Wolves did on getting him on that contract. Um, 
Terrible. I will say this. He has moved into a territory, to your point about him being one of the better backup point guards, he's now moved into a territory with me mentally where if we suffered an injury to D'Angelo Russell where let's say he was going to be out 20, 25 games, Jordan McLaughlin is more than capable of handling the reins for that period of time and us not missing much uh, during D'Angelo Russell's absence. He is exactly to me, and there's personalities between these two teams, but like he to me is no different than what Memphis went through with Tyus Jones. Yeah. It's like you can turn the, the keys over to him, and yes, there are aspects you're going to be missing because the player who was hurt is obviously a better basketball player, but you're not going to fall off a cliff and struggle implementing that guy into the starting five. Jordan McLaughlin, to me, I agree with you. Like, when I watch him play, and I try my best to not make it just, like, such a massive homer take, but when I watch him, I try mentally to go through the league and say, okay, which backup point guards that are currently playing, which do I think are better than Jordan McLaughlin? It's really hard to come up with many names, and if you do, it's not as though it's a massive gap between him and those others. No, there's not a lot of good backup point guards in the NBA. I mean, I think that that's fair to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a very tricky position, and it's one where guys don't get paid a lot because they're a function, you know, unless with, with very few exceptions, they're a one-position player. So if you have a good starting point guard, you're really, there's there's maybe 16, 16 minutes for this guy to play. And so, uh, but, you know, with the way, I agree with you with what you said about D'Lo, and I may take it a step further, which is they. I hope that this isn't the case because for the team to be as good as you and I think they can be and hope they will be, it, a big part of that will be that D'Angelo Russell will have a, a good season, an excellent yeah. season even. Um, but should he not, uh, I don't think that that is really a catastrophe. on the rest of the starting lineup and frankly I'd be I'd be really surprised if the team was even noticeably worse with Jordan McLaughlin running the offense for the first unit not at all and that's and Bryn Forbes signings I think are phenomenal because essentially what you did and we'll get to the front court here in a minute but what you essentially did is you added enough bodies that if you had injuries uh, to your backcourt you are going to be able to find guys that can credibly play the role while other guys get healthy um, which usually, I mean, that's that's a big concern for a lot of the teams we talk about that believe themselves to be contenders is the depth behind some of these stars is so thin that an injury would, would be catastrophic to their season and their outlook. Um, but Jordan McLaughlin, to me, and I'm curious what's going to happen, because, I mean, we'll obviously we'll have an entire year to digest what he turns into. The hype piece, you mentioned that most backup point guards are obviously one-position players. He's no different standing at sub-six feet or six feet in shoes or whatever they measure him at. But it is amazing to me on offense how effective he is at that height. Most of those guys, vision is a huge issue because obviously when you're missing a few inches, like you, just, there are certain angles and passes that you sometimes miss out on simply due to height. He, is, he has gotten so crafty and uh, is sneaky athletic. Uh, it's... Honestly, we talk about it all the time in the tough watch. It was it was just a slew of conversations about the G League and which teams take it seriously. And the Wolves, obviously, with Jordan McLaughlin, Jared Vanderbilt, Nas Reed, on and on. Like, there's just a bunch, Jalen Noel, players that have come through that system. And when they make it to the league, you can tell that the G League experience, it's not like bringing in most rookies out of college. Like, that is clearly a pro-style system that they come out of because... They're really well prepared to play in the league. They're just a lot of times they need reps at the highest level 
just like Jordan McLaughlin did, to kind of get their feet under him and understand the game. But they come in at least competent enough to be put in a rotation. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, perhaps they don't have the upside of that guy, you know, this straw man we're talking about, draft prospect. But what they are capable of doing is producing at a much higher level early on and at a really cheap deal. And this is... I'm, I'm, it's just shocking to me to watch the Timberwolves become, become these teams because you and I, this is the whole thesis of our la- our previous podcast was, the, and this is what we discovered, you know, over time was the teams that succeed in this league because there is such a finite amount of superstar players that yes the number one thing in the league is how do you acquire these superstar players but here's the second part of it is in order to acquire the acquiring these guys takes up a ton of resources financial and then depending on how you acquire them whether it's trade free agency and even tanking in the draft that is a like you're wasting seasons to be able to do that in order to actually build a really good team around these guys you have to unearth dudes that are punching way above their weight financially. And so to actually see the Timberwolves become the type of organization that is able to do that, it's, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous, you know, compared to where, where the team has been in the entirety of their run as a franchise. And honestly, this is something that we probably have to give some credit to uh, Gerson Rosas on yeah. because he kind of started, he started this emphasis on their G League program, which just wasn't, you know, development was not on the agenda of the Tom Thibodeau teams. And then before that, the team had zero continuity at all. And you cannot, obviously, you know, to say the least, you cannot have a functional minor league system if your major league team is in disarray. So an, an amazing turn of events for the Timberwolves. Yeah, and you're you're you hit the nail on the head there. If you have a guy that is providing you eight to ten million dollars in value on a one and a half million dollar contract, that's where a team with three high end max players, that's how you end up with depth. Because there is no other way to do it. The money runs out. So you have to find a way to have guys to your point punching above their weight financially. Or else you just you're like a lot of teams that have built, uh, you know, these these tri superstar teams. Once all the money's gone, if you haven't figured out a way to do that, your depth is awful. You look at the Lakers as a cla- prime example. Yeah, exactly. And so the depth just becomes a huge concern. Um, so front court, uh, and we're talking bench here. We'll get to the starters here towards the tail end. But uh, two guys specifically I want to talk about: uh, the Kyle Anderson acquisition and the retention of Torian Prince. Um, both guys, Kyle Anderson started in the first game. The absences, Nas Reed has started in the absence of both Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. So in two of the games, Kyle Anderson came off the bench in the opening night game. He obviously, with Gobert and Towns both out, he started. But, you know, you texted me during the first game about Kyle Anderson's halftime stat line because he was like a, I can't remember, I think it was a plus 14 or plus 18 with no points. And it was like assists, rebounds, steals, blocks. He is so perfect uh, for exactly what this team needed in, in front court depth, because they absolutely, you know, when you watch Nas Reed play, and we'll get to him here in a bit, there are elements to Nas Reed's game I like a lot, and there's a bunch of deficiencies. Kyle Anderson basically doesn't have any deficiencies. Like, he's not elite at any level, 
but he is perfect for a team that wants front court depth, especially a guy coming off the bench, which is why Memphis coveted him so much when he was there. Um, he has done exactly what I would expect him to do, and I cannot tell you how excited I am on the team because this is also beating a dead horse. This is really new for a Timberwolves team to have a vet like Kyle Anderson. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can't – I mean, did the closest – analog I could come up with um, was and Andre Kirilenko and how excited we were about this. It's the funniest thing because, you know, I'm assuming if you're not a diehard fan of the Timberwolves, you can't even wrap your mind around the significance of Andre Kirilenko on the Timberwolves <laughs> and how much hope he gave us as a franchise. Talk about preseason. In preseason, just like watching that team come together. But yeah, having... You know he's he's a he's a ball player in every way, and as I say that as a compliment, like just a dude that uh, you can put on the court, knows how to play, kind of can gather what is needed of him in a game, and doesn't try to do more than that. And so, a guy where we talk about alignment and having guys whose goals match the 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 goals that the franchise has for him, and he he's that exactly, and he is going to be a guy that. If he isn't already, and I think he is, um, he will be, you know, the thinking man's Timberwolves favorite player in very short order here. Yes, he will be a fan favorite, no doubt about it. Um, and then with Torian Prince, I don't really have anything to add. I just wanted to bring up his name. It's so nice to have Torian Prince back. You and I talked about it when he was uh, when he was retained because he was he was so important to last year's team. And he does the types of things that we wanted to retain going into the following season. That's why the Malik Beasley trade um, and, and obviously Pat Bev and losing just his, his personality and, and uh, the impact he had on the team's culture, that was huge. But with Torian Prince, like both you and I were in lockstep where it's like, you know, when we lost Malik Beasley, yeah, we liked Malik a lot and it was really fun to have him on the team. But I didn't really mind having him off of this roster, whereas Torian Prince, both of us after the season ended was like, that has to be a priority. Like, yeah, and I'd say about bees, I, I don't think this is, you know, it's not a compliment, what I'm about to say, but it's, it's also something he can still grow into as a player. Like, he's not a winning basketball player at this moment. And, um, and you know, and that, that is something that I think you could have said about, you probably could have said that about Torian Prince in earlier parts of his career or Austin Rivers. You just have to get to a place where you... Like we said, the alignment, where what you want is what the team wants. And with the decision to really go for it this season, there's no room anymore on the team for dudes that do not understand their role and uh, don't just want to be a star in that role. And so yet another guy that, you know, he's going to... It's about his floor salary-wise that he's making with the Timberwolves. Um, you know, making around $8 million a year. You know, he's another guy where, like, he can make a salary like that in the mid-level range in perpetuity if he stays in shape, you know, continues to shoot the ball well and can be a guy that is, you know, not an elite by any stretch, but a passable multi-position defender. You know, he's going to just continue to play a role in the league. And, um what was looking like a very bad trade for the Timberwolves, uh, flipping Rubio for him. Not to say that, you know, Rubio's fit was very bad with this team, but uh, it was looking like a stinker of a trade for the first several months uh, that 
Torian was on the team, but he really turned it around in the second half of last season. You never know if that is just a flash in the pan, because sometimes even statistically, what happens at the beginning part of the season is a little more indicative of kind of long, your long-term prognosis as a player. But I'm very happy to say that it looks like whatever it was that turned the light switch on for Torian in the second half of last season, that has carried over, and he, he looks fantastic. Yeah, he is the type of guy, and, and I like how you put, a pa- you know, he needs to be a passable multi-position defender. The term I was going to use is just be a plus defender. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be elite, but he also plays a really important role, and you've even seen it, you know, in these first three games. And the opening night with a bunch of guys absent, like I said, the big three were all out. Uh, well, I guess Anthony Edwards played. It's a big four. But three of the four are out. And Torian Prince played 20 minutes and scored 19 points. And so he's one of those guys that is really critical for us, especially as you look at an 82-game scope for a team like this, because he has that in him, which is important if you're missing guys or you want to give guys a minute to breathe. Um, And it's also really important that he just does a lot of the dirty work. You know, last night's game was kind of an example of that. He had a steal. He had a few assists, five rebounds, like, he, he's kind of a, a gap filler that's really important for this team, and that's why you and I wanted him retained so badly because you mentioned the $8 million. He's another guy that could punch above his weight very easily um, where he could play like a 12 to $14 million player instead of an $8 million player. Yeah, and the um, way he can do that, Dan, is, you know, we are just saying about Jordan McLaughlin, there's one scenario where Jordan McLaughlin can start for, for your team if you're the Timberwolves and that's an injury to D'Angelo Russell. That's not the case for Torian Prince. Torian Prince could start for the Timberwolves if Edwards, uh, Jane McDaniels, or Carl Towns were injured. All three of those guys. And that's the value of, among many other things, that is the value of having guys that are in that size range is, you know, the reality of a season is there's going to be a lot of injuries and resting. And so to be able to have a guy that can fill in multiple spots and allow you to play different ways, very valuable. Absolutely. Well, and let's just move that right into the conversation about the starters. Um, I want to start one place specifically because it's kind of a down topic, and then we'll, we'll be a little more bullish on some other aspects, I'm sure. Uh, let's start with Jade McDaniels. Uh, well, that's the down topic. Uh, yeah, for one reason. So yep, when, I when, think we're going to say the same. I'm excited. I'm excited yes. you have this take. So when you, uh, when, well, when both of us recorded that preseason pod about the, uh, the young guys and ranking the top 25, I was, I had him way up my board and you clipped my wings, not because you obviously don't want him to position there after the season, but you had the, the concern that any Timberwolves may have, which is his foul rate. And in these first three games, he continues to have a, an issue keeping his hands to himself. Um, he's had three fouls in each of the first three games. Last night was a little less egregious. Uh, opening night was brutal. He picked up three fouls in only 19 minutes. He had three fouls in 20 minutes and three fouls in 27 minutes last night. But it's it's less the number in these preseason games. It's the fact that he's picking them up and they're cheap. He's picking up a lot of cheap fouls. And it worries the hell out of me because the only way that Jaden is going to be able to be you know, a perennial starter for this team and be part of the long-term core is he absolutely has to clean up that aspect of his game. So I have not loved these first three preseason games and watching him play defense. Well, and that's where I, to me, I think everybody needs to slow their roll about talking about him as an elite defender currently because he, just by almost by definition, he can't be. Yeah, he just isn't. 
yeah. if if what you're saying is true. He, I, w- I would say what is probably accurate is that he has that type of talent, um, and that is just evident to anybody that is going to watch. But, yeah, that it looks about the same. Um, and to compound the issue there, Dan, I think, I think he visibly looks taller. He visibly looks more confident uh, taking the ball off the bounce um, offensively. But his role in this particular starting lineup is a little unclear. And if he's not going to be the type of guy that can stay on the court defensively because of just how much he fouls, then it really gets murky. Because the thing that has stood out to me the most about our starting lineup and with Jaden, and I'm actually glad we ended up saying slightly different things here about Jaden, is he is by all measures the fifth guy offensively and there's really no path for him this season to be much more to be anything other than that and that's concerning for for people that are really expecting a major breakout for him because what is he even if his skill set has improved to such a degree where that is a possibility for him to take a leap I don't think it's it's just not possible with the other four guys on the floor that he's playing with. I mean, the only real scenarios where he's going to get a lot of touches are transition opportunities, busted plays when it gets swung out to him, or maybe the occasional once-a-game play that gets called for him. But other than that, he's going to get a lot of corner duty. No, and this is... And I'm glad you framed it that way because this goes back to the point I made about foul rate. You're talking about him finding finding kind of his his voice in the starting five requires that he be a defensive dog like he just needs to be a guy this team can rely on to do a lot of things on the defensive end because they don't really need much on the offensive end and if the foul rate is there you're absolutely right like the fit is weird and unless he he can become a knockdown shooter which at this point he is far from a knockdown shooter then it becomes a lot easier to see his value on a second unit as like kind of a primary option as opposed to. And that's know. Dan, that's where I'm wondering if that's where this goes. And maybe that doesn't mean that he doesn't start. Maybe it just means that he plays the majority of his heavy minutes with more bench units. But yeah. I mean, let's just break this down. I mean, if we're talking about half court offense at when, tell me when we get to the point where Jaden is is going to get a big opportunity to score. I think realistically, okay, we're in half-court offense. I think most things are going to start with a Rudy Gobert and D'Angelo Russell pick and roll. And, of course, there's a lot of opportunities for the ball to get swung to Jaden or for him to cut. But if, if it's a D'Lo, Rudy Gobert pick and roll, he's definitively the third guy that you would want to pass it to out of that action. You know, yep. kind of the entire purpose of having that be your primary action is that if you nudge off of Anthony Edwards, we're going to give him the ball and he's going to yam it on somebody. Or if you help off of Cat, we have one of the best shooting players in the NBA taking a, a deep three on you. So it's like there's that. You need possessions in the game where Anthony Edwards is running pick and roll. You need possessions. You know there's going to be a lot of possessions in the game where Anthony Edwards is isoing and getting to that step back he likes so much. You know there's going to be possessions in the game where Cat is going to be operating either from the block or from the mid post and cooking from there. And then you also know that, and this could be a good segue into this guy as we wrap up Jaden McDaniels, that 
D'Angelo Russell's propensity to just take some pretty ill-advised mid-range shots. And so it's, it's really, he's going to have to feast on not much, you know, like his, his opportunities are going to come in secondary actions where, okay, we're running that Gobert D'Lo pick and roll. The lob is not there. The mid-range shot is not there. They've done a nice job of staying attached to Ant and Cat. And so, Jaden, you're going to get the ball swung to you, and you're going to have to do so. So many times, given the actions you just explained, so many times the benefit to Jaden McDaniels is going to be to keep your guy out of the paint. And so it's like, do not clog us. We need as much space to operate with these four guys as we possibly can. So actually, unless you are sure that you can get an opportunity via cut, do not pull your guy into the action. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing to watch. We'll transition to D'Angelo Russell, which I think is right. You and I, before the season talked, and you brought it up earlier on this podcast, the importance of D'Angelo Russell having a big year and what that would mean for the team. Because I do believe that for the team to reach the line I predicted before the season, D'Angelo Russell is going to have to have a big year. And in these first three games, it's a lot of the same. Looks you know, like the same old D'Lo. It, it looks exactly the same. Uh, you mentioned ill-advised mid-range shots. There's been a slew of that. His scoring has been inefficient in the first two games. His three-point shooting hasn't been great thus far. And again, it's an overreactions pod. We only have two games of D'Lo to digest. But that's exactly what it looks like. There's nothing different from what I can tell. Nothing at all. There is just way too many better options on this team than to bail out the defense by taking the type of mid-range shot he really likes to take. And I'm thinking specifically of last night, him taking a screen from either Carl or Nas and doing that little fadeaway floater-ish jumper that he loves to take from around the free throw line that, look, let's face it, that is not an efficient shot for anybody that isn't Kevin Durant and maybe maybe Cat, but yeah. it's not an efficient shot from a guard. And that's obviously the, the thing that is easy to latch on to. But I, I would also talk about the opportunity cost of of doing such a thing on offense when you're on the court with Cat Anthony Edwards, and especially when Rudy is there. Um, you're, you're just creating a situation that the defense doesn't have to expend a lot of energy worrying about the guys that they really should be worried about in Cat and Anthony Edwards. And so you're, you're turning these weapons into guys that have literally just jogged up the floor, taken their position um, on offense and, and really had to do nothing. And so you're, you're giving a rest to the guys that are defending our premier players in addition to the fact that you're just taking a really low efficiency, uh, low efficiency, excuse me, did a little Simmonsism there. Low efficiency <laughs> shot um, that that you can get any time. That's not the type of shot that that is a result of good offensive action. It's it's a shot that you could get every time you dribble down the court. Well, yeah, and I, and I think you're doing a nice job of explaining the reasons that it benefits the defense to have that shot. The other thing that I'll mention too, and, and a big part of the acquisition of Rudy Gobert was the rim protection coupled with the rebounding because the Timberwolves were a terrible rebounding team last year. The reason I hate that shot so much is if, if one of the guards on this team goes to the rim, naturally the rebounders on the team start fading towards the basket because they understand a shot is likely to go up. The problem with that D-low shot 
is you're not really anticipating that the shot's going to go up from there. And so anybody that you have, and you know, in most actions, Rudy Gobert will either be already rolling to the rim or down on the block. So at least you have one guy present, but you're not going to have any other rebounders home taking that shot. And so the benefit of taking the three point shot is the same thing can be true there, but obviously three is better than two. That mid-range shot, you get the same downside long rebound potential without guys in position, but you don't even get the benefit of the points. So it's just a bad, for a lot of reasons, it's a bad shot. And it only makes sense on teams where that is one of the better shots that you can acquire just due to the, the talent you have. There's no excuse for it on this team. Just like you mentioned, there's absolutely zero excuse for that shot outside of a bailout and shot clock second action kind of possession. Um, yeah, that shot should not be attempted if there's more than, like, six seconds on the shot clock. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we didn't even talk about the part with the defense. It's like, yeah, you didn't even have to guard these other guys. But really the best thing that the Timberwolves can do is wear a defense down with the barrage of threats that they have on their team. And really just, you know, if we are playing the Clippers last night, PG and Kawhi, I would be trying to run those. I would be trying to run those dudes ragged. Uh, Absolutely, closing out to shooters and switching and uh, scrambling on defense. And so when you come down the court and you take a shot with 16 seconds on the shot clock, you have forfeited the opportunity to do that. In addition to the obvious inefficiencies of the shot. Yeah, and then I want to do just a couple quick hitters on guys that have only played one game, and that would be Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And uh, Rudy Gobert, real quick, the thing I've, I've been obsessed with in the one game I got to watch him play, <laughs> I fucking love watching that guy set meaningful screens. Something oh, man. We, have, we have not seen from a Timberwolves team in some time. <laughs> we we used to joke about this off the podcast. We, we probably did it on the podcast, too, but you and I used to joke all the time where we're like, so we set, you know, let's say we set 50 screens, 60 screens a night. Like, the number of meaningful screens that actually produced, like, a, a positive outcome or were, you know, screened enough where the, the defender actually got drawn out of the play. I mean, you're talking, like, 10 to 15% of those screens. The rest of them were just window dressing and just dog shit. Rudy Gobert changes that. He sets real screens. Like, they actually have a real impact. It's kind of cool. It is, yeah, I don't, it, to, to go from a team that has had Josh Kogi doing the center responsibilities um, to having the best guy at the center responsibilities doing the center responsibilities. I mean, you can't even begin to articulate the difference there. And it's just, it's just something we've been banging the table on for so long. And I think the Clippers are a perfect example of this. It's like somebody still needs to do that, you know? And like, I'll make a little quick restaurant analogy here. Um, you know, for everybody, which is you would go like, and this is often how they would sell, you know, the appeal of a guy like Cat playing center. Cat is like getting an additional chef when you already have a chef instead of having a guy that washes the dishes. And you go and you're like, well, this is great because the guy that can wash the dishes, all he does is wash dishes. He doesn't know how to, he can't make a steak, you know? Um, And you go, well, but yeah, but... That just means that we're going to have to figure out a way to get these dishes clean still. You know, it's like, it's great that we have another very talented person in here. That, that's cool and all, but either that means this very talented person is now going to have to wash dishes, which is a, not the right use of their skills, 
or we're not going to have clean dishes. <laughs> yes. So, which is mo- more often than not what happened to your point about these screens not being set properly. So to actually, it, it's just, it's a, it's, people are just so dismissive of what it is that a center does on both ends of the ball. They're like primarily involved in all the actions. So to have, to have a complete hole there in terms of that skill set and the skill sets required to do that at a high level. I mean, I think the team, well, there's a lot of talk about how this was a bet on Anthony, the Rudy Gobert trade, and it, it definitely was. But what it also was, was an acknowledgement from them that they will not be able to win at the levels they'd like to win at if Carl Anthony Towns is their center. And it doesn't mean they can't win if he's on the team. It just means that we are not going to get to where we want to get if he's playing center. Well, yeah, and to, and to your point about you know the dishes analogy, Rudy Gobert played in one game, and it was the Laker game, the second preseason game, and he played 17 minutes. He took four shots, but he had 12 rebounds in 17 minutes. So that's kind of the thing about Rudy Gobert where on this team and again there's there was a lot of talk about him having a larger offensive role because I just think that would be his preference because he's just so used to being a dirty work guy but he's fucking great at the dirty work and so that's the thing about Carl Anthony Towns to your point is it's like no he was undeniably great he's great at being Carl Anthony Towns (laughs) that's that's the thing (laughs) in certain ways and to expand on your dishes analogy the other thing too is sometimes if you ask a chef to do dishes they're just not going to do it you know like (laughs) they're just gonna go fuck you that's not my job and that's kind of what you would get with Carl Anthony Towns it's like stop telling me I can't rebound or defend the rim I am an elite shooter who can go off the bounce at seven feet like I'm plenty good enough let me do my thing and it's like no that's all true but you still have to find a body to do those things. If they're not being done, you can't look away and it, the problem disappears. You know, like a problem ignored is not a problem solved. So. Yeah, and, and they, they you, know, you know, struck some gold there last year getting Jared Vanderbilt to do those things. You know, not a guy that's in a center's body, but a humongous upgrade from what they were attempting to do before out of that position. Because you got to remember, you know, I said the thing about Josh Okogie who did an admirable job in a role that is well beyond what he is capable of doing, um, just physically. And um, But that wasn't even the first choice for the team. The first choice for the team prior to this current era, which this current era is only about 18 months long, um, the first choice was to have a guy like Juancho Hernan Gomez next to Kat. So it's a complete abandonment of even the notion that you need these things is another reason why the addition of Rudy is such a shocking left turn and such a welcome one from you and for you and I is because it's not just that we didn't have somebody in that role that was filling it. It's that the previous regime that we had and we even thought perhaps maybe Chris Finch felt this way because one of the early sells on him was his ties with Kristen Rosas. Um, unfortunately, this has proven to not be true, but like that was one of Gerson Rosas' kind of like signature philosophies was um, whatever benefits we're going to get offensively from having a stretch guy next to Carl will outweigh whatever negatives there are for not having a center type player on the floor, which is just you know, plainly not true is what we found out. You and I believed it was untrue at the time. Yeah. Uh, we were proven correct there. Um, 
but yeah, that's the thing is people got to remember is like the first choice was not even having a Vando type guy. It was having a, another finesse player next to cat and having five finesse guys on the court at all times. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Anthony Edwards. The last guy that we definitely, definitely need to talk about. Um, so in three preseason games, I mentioned his minutes are increasing. He's obviously had a fairly large role, which he should. But I will say this, Anthony Edwards, like, and this is what the preseason is for. But this so much looks like somebody who bought like a supercar and was told by the dealership, like, all right, for the first, you know, thousand miles, you need to keep this thing under 65. You know what I mean? Let let everything break in and warm up. Uh, and that's what this preseason has looked like. Like Anthony Edwards in brief moments. You can just tell, and I mean, we, you and I texted and talked about this, um, you know, during media day, which was like, you could just, while you're sitting in the chair, you could just see the physical size of him. Like he definitely put on muscle in the off season and looks great, but it's kind of fascinating because he's really only doing the ant stuff and it, it's probably coming directly fold him, you know, before these games, like he's really only letting it out like that really Anthony Edwards self that he has, like he's only letting that out in brief moments in these games. The rest of the time, he's just kind of on autopilot, getting his wind, getting his legs. So we haven't seen the full Anthony Edwards experience yet, but you can just tell it's there because even when he's going at, let's say 80% of what he's fully capable of, like he's still undeniably effective, a great offensive player in his step back that he's always loved since he came to the league. Uh, that's looked great. And, you know, the, the exciting thing for these last two games, and we'll see what we get, but just one opportunity, hopefully in the fifth game, this is what we'll get. Like the first real opportunity to just see all five of these guys on the floor simultaneously. Like really, really need to see it. Yeah, he looks amazing. And the, the best game that he played with the team was the first game where he was, he was running point guard with Jalen yes. Noel as the off guard next to him, which is a huge development for the team because as good as we all believe Anthony Edwards can be, with the way that the NBA is played now, the evolution of the game being like, we got to just cut the middleman out and we're just going to give it to our best player right away. Um, that needs to be a part of his game. That's probably shouldn't be and won't be the biggest part of his game. It's just being a dude that runs a million pick and rolls, but it's got to be a part of the program. And what was very encouraging to me is watching him find his pace because you know, early in his career so far, um, that has often manifested itself in him being processing things slowly and taking taking time that shouldn't have been taken, just kind of surveying the defense. What we saw from him in that first game and, and even in these next two ones is a guy that is one of the, is probably at all times the fastest and most athletic player on the court, but also a guy that's learning to channel that and learning to change speeds at an elite level. And that's a very scary thing for the rest of the NBA if that's something that he's able to build in his game at 21 years old. Absolutely. And, it, and I'll say this too. You mentioned that first game where it was kind of point ant for, for the bulk of those minutes. You and I pounded the table. If you listen back to the podcast that happened during last year's Memphis series, we were just pounding the table like, our best opportunity to win is put the ball in Anthony Edwards' hands from the start of the possession. Because it wasn't every time, but this was during a down, you know, obviously a downtime for uh, D'Angelo Russell in terms of his performance in that series. Cat had a rough series. 
And it was just so obvious that it's like, if you really want to apply pressure on this Memphis defense and make life hell for them, just put the ball in Anthony Edwards' hand from the start and let him try and figure it out. And it was crazy to be calling for that from a second-year two-guard. But that's honestly what we believed at the time. Going into this season, I agree with you. It doesn't need to be, obviously, the bulk of what he does, but they cannot abandon it because he he needs to, over time, develop that and continue to build on that. Um, and in that first game, it was... I mean, it, it's it's one of my like basketball fetishes is watching Anthony Edwards play point guard for an extended period of time because it's just so fucking exciting. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's so exciting to watch. Um, and he was great. He was great, just to your point. Great in that first game doing that. Yeah, and it's just going to be very important for us to see everybody on the court together because, you know, for a few reasons. Like, it's it, it will give us a glimpse of, you know, how Anthony Edwards can impact the game when he's in the primary role. And for the future of the team, if that is what we want. you know or if the better way to use Anthony Edwards is to play him with a guy like Jalen Noel or even Jordan McLaughlin somebody with a you know significantly lower usage and need to control offense than D'Angelo Russell so it's just going to be you know we have this theory about everything stemming from the Gobert D'Angelo Russell pick and roll we need to see that in action because if that doesn't manifest itself in a lot of Obviously, easy looks for Rudy, but the whole theory of it is that's going to manifest very easy opportunities for Ant and Cat. That's still unknown at this point because what we're talking about is a play that involves neither of them in the direct action. So it's yeah. just going to be imperative to see it form because we, we're going to need to learn sooner than later if what we're saying about that is true. And if it's not, how do we pivot off of that so that we can still get all of the benefits of Rudy Gobert's screen setting, offensive rebounding, and rim protection, but get those shots distributed to the guys that, you know, can take and make them efficiently? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't have anything that I want to cover, uh, nothing left kind of in the tank. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we end the, the show for this, this episode? You know, no, just I'm, I'm just, to, it's again, it's, it's just jarring to watch this team. And I actually, you know what, I want to end it on this, Dan, is this is somewhat of a contrarian take because, you know, you would think guys like us be some very serious, like, oh, uh, wake me up when, the, you know, the matter. It's just the preseason. Yeah. Like, you would think that that would probably be our opinion. But, like, for me, I actually think it's, it's not crucial but I do think it's very important that this team starts off undefeated and beats those bad teams because of everything we said in these preseason pods that the teams at the top of the conferences are going to be the teams that beat up on the bad, the few bad teams there actually are in the league. And I think the best way that they can set themselves up to do that to start the season 6-0 and is if they don't lose in the preseason also. And you can have a little bit of juice going into the year that, hey, plus the preseason and now we've won 12 games in a row or we've won 13 games in a row. Like, so when we do come and play these teams that are, let's face it, a lot better than the Spurs, the Thunder and uh, the Utah Jazz, 
we've got a little confidence. We got the wind at our back because we've won a lot of games in a row. So I actually think, you know, it's silly. And what's the difference between the game last night, you know, where we win by two points. LA's not even trying to get it into overtime because everyone just wants to get out of there. The difference is it's just another... It's just another arrow for Chris Finch to fire motivationally to these guys to be like, let, like, you know why we want to really, uh, beyond the obvious reasons why we want to kick the shit out of San Antonio for the third time in a row here, it's we haven't even lost a game yet with this group. Yes. Let's see how long we can do that for. No, I think this is an excellent point that you're making. I feel the exact same way. And the other thing, too, um, because you'll hear that from casual fans, like, you know, the NBA doesn't matter until April or whatever. It's like, that is fine. Like, I actually support that train of thought when it comes to teams that have, like, clearly proven over a period of time that they can win at a high level and compete in the playoffs. If you haven't done that, I never want to hear about that. You know what I mean? It's you have not earned the right to not take every every game, every stage of a season very seriously. Um, and this Timberwolves team, I agree with you. Like They have the benefit of a really soft start to the season, which is going to help a ton with a group that's new to one another. They get a little bit – they get basically a two-week extended training camp to play some of these regular season games against bad teams, which should be exactly what they need, to your point, to set themselves up for when the schedule gets difficult because it's not only just the win that they've done – it's also the fact that through that winning, they're obviously going to have developed, you know, slightly more continuity than they would have had the weeks prior. And will hopefully set themselves up to be able to, you know, compete and take those games after the schedule hardens. So, yeah, and no. we're all about marginal advantages, <laughs> you and I. And yes. if, if everybody else that's in your tier as a contender not using this time as valuable as you that's a marginal advantage to you it's not it's not going to change the fortunes of your franchise but it's a little bit it's a fraction of a percent and the whole name of the game as we've been stressing over and over and especially when we did the tough watch pod is you gotta add up those fractions of pennies it's like the scheme they're trying to run in office space is over the yes. time those fractions of pennies will add up to a couple of Jalen Noels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, this was fun. They played. The Wolves have the Lakers coming up on Wednesday night on ESPN, a second matchup with the Lakers. They won by 15 last week against that team that played nobody. Uh, but that'll be the next game, and then you and I will get on. We're not going to schedule it now. It may be, uh, you know, if anything happens or that game is particularly entertaining, maybe we come on and we talk later this week. If not, it'll be this upcoming weekend. Uh, but we'll have... Some more Wolves content coming as the season nears. We only have eight days left. Oh, cannot wait, man. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, take care.